And he pulled me aside and he said, the way you practice is how you're going to play. The way you play is how you're going to live your life. And it scared the crap out of me that, wow, if that's how I'm going to live my life, what an empty life and am, am I going to have? And it just shook me to my core and it, 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 and it caused me to change my, my, my entire outlook. It was a paradigm shift for me like I've never had before. And I really needed it at the time. And it came from a coach who cared about me as a person. Hi, this is Ben Guest. Today's conversation is with Greg Sullivan. And this is the second of four episodes in my Positive Coaching podcast miniseries. Dr. Sullivan is the director of the Positive Coaching and Leading Program, Master's in Education at the University of Missouri. And in today's conversation, we talk about the three most important things that people need to have their psychological needs met. And they are autonomy, improvement, and belonging. We do a deep dive into all three of those through the paradigm of sports, but this is applicable to everybody. Enjoy. So Dr. Sullivan, Greg, thank you for joining us today. Great to be here, Ben. I'm excited to speak with you. So the other day I saw a tweet and it was ex-NFL quarterback Trent Dilfer, who's now a high school coach. And he, I guess it went viral sometime in August, uh, but I just saw it the other day where he's grabbing one of his high school players, you know, physically pushing him on back, ordering him to sit down. And it's just that idea of the coach is there to intimidate the players, that high schoolers should be motivated um, through a combination of fear and anger, and that what's more important than anything else is that the coach has to be respected and the players are to be obedient to the coach, to do what, what the coach says, full stop. And that is very much the traditional model of coaching. Um, and thankfully, through the work of people like yourself and people like the program, again, it's positive coaching and athletic leadership, masters in education, that's changing. What do you see when you look, look at the landscape, where we've been, where we're going? Well, I, I think that um, when I see coaches like, um, you know, that, that respond like that. It just reminds me of an old coaching adage that that coaching is more caught than taught. And so we really see our opportunity and our responsibility that, you know, we can kind of flip that, you know, so that there are more coaches that are educated and have a better understanding of the implications of their actions. You know, that's something that will live with that kid for the rest of his life, you know, that, um, you know, that, that, that's something you don't forget your kids, kids will remember, you know, and you, you probably speak to people all the time when, you know, they'll remember something a coach said to them in sixth grade that became a part of who they are and, and, and whether it's positive or negative, um, largely we, we, you know, we've seen a, an approach to coaching where it's, 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 it's really, it's really negative and, and it, and it's becomes, um, at time, really demeaning so we um you know we, we, i think it's important to point out that we're not against demanding but we are against we're opposed to demeaning and i think that's what that's where you know we cross that line i was talking to the the founder of this program a guy named rick mcguire really interesting guy he was a longtime track and field coach here at university of missouri he was also a sports psychologist 
And I said, yeah, you know, coach, in, in the, you know, the, um, in, in a game, kid screws up, cost you the game. You know, it's, it's an emotional thing. He said, yeah, I get it. He said, but you're the adult in the room. And the way to approach that is that you just very calmly tell the kid, I can't trust you. Right now, I can't trust you. And when you think you're ready to be trusted, let me know. And then, we'll, and then we'll talk about it. But that's the extent of the conversations. There's no helmet pulling. There's no shirt grabbing. There's not, none of that stuff. It's just, you know, um, you know it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging, you know, for, for people to, you know, particularly in, 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 a, in an arena like sports, which is very emotional at times to, to maintain your emotions. I had, we, I had a coach once that used to, used to talk about composure, you know, stay composed, be composed, no matter what's happening. And then, you know, he, uh, he, there would be a bad call and, and the clipboard would be flying and the, and the suit jacket would go off and, and we would look at each other and say, composure, <laughs> you know, so, and it's hard to trust somebody who does, says one thing and does another. And, and, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's challenging, but I think that with, um, with, with education, with an understanding, and also with an understanding of the implication on what you've done or the potential to that, that, that athlete, that, that, that kid, I think, you know, it's, it starts to flip a, a switch for a lot of coaches. Right. And so much of, I use this line all the time. So much of adulthood is dealing with childhood, right? So at that moment, let's say one of your players, teenager messes up, loses the game. There's going to be a story there that that teenager tells himself or herself for the rest of their life. And that story is going to be authored by the person that they look up to and how they react to that mess up or that screw up. And I mean, you, you touched on it. Like it's not about, it's not about winning this game. It's about winning in life. It's about helping people. It's about helping people on their path. Um, and so if you yell and scream and, and blame and shame that, that teenager, that's the story that he or she's going to tell themselves. Yeah, I, I talked to a, uh, a coach. He was a, a girls high school basketball coach. And, and he was being inducted into the state's hall of fame, won a ton of games. And I said, what, what was your philosophy? How, how could you summarize you know, your success? And he said that I decided that as a coach, I would rather lose a game than lose a kid. And I thought, how beautiful is that? You know, that, and to, and to, and to think about that before every game, and it, and it really, it guides your every decision. It guides everything you say to a player. I'd, I'd rather lose a game than lose a kid. And, and that got him into the Hall of Fame. That, that coaching philosophy. So it, it's, it's possible. You know, that this idea that, that there's always this trade-off that we have to make between, um, between winning and, um, and, you know, and, and, and a, the, 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 the mental health and, and well-being of, of, a, of, a, of an athlete um, is, is, is really, I don't, it's, 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 um, it's, it's wrong. <laughs> Um, and that, you know, that, that, you know, that you can learn to, 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 um, 
to help an athlete experience both optimal performance and optimal well-being at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive, and but we operate under the under this model that they are mutually exclusive, and so so we are trying to to use research tons. This you know, there's so much great research out there, tons and tons. But how does it ever get to a middle school coach? How does it ever get to a high school coach? How do we bridge that gap between theory and practice? And and that's you know that that we see that as our our charge. That's that's what we'd like to do. Right, because part of the challenge is, if we call it the traditional coaching model, kids, teenagers, college students, adults are coached in a certain manner, in a traditional manner, and then they themselves become coaches, and that's how they coach. And so now, if you have someone doing something different, and maybe it looks radically different, then the other adults in the community who came up under the traditional coach, they um, push back against that. Parents who perhaps came up under a traditional coach push back against that. What's been celebrated in popular culture. And that's why I'm so thankful for the show Ted Lasso, which gives us an example of a different way of coaching. But, but that's you know hopefully more common, but it's rare that we have that model of coaching. Usually the, the, the films and TV series or about coaches that coach under the more traditional method. So there's also pushback from the community and the culture because people don't realize there is a different way. You know, I'll, I'll, I won't tell you who said it, but a coach uh, recently was taught, you know, they, they, a football coach and um, there's, they had high expectations for this year and they haven't fulfilled those expectations. Um, and they talked about now, going into practice this week there's going to be a lot more competition we won't have a depth chart and he said this ain't ted lasso and i was like you know so <laughs> here we go things aren't going well so let's start you know let's start cracking the whip because we can't have both right we can't have we can't we can't have uh um you know a a, a positive atmosphere and work really hard at the same time and you know and, and have competition and, and, and it's, it's really where we become so misguided as a profession, as in the coaching profession. And it, it seems to me, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. You have a, a master's in positive psychology, PhD in sport management. It seems to me that that type of attitude, even though the head coach is projecting himself or herself as this strong, confident, intimidating leader, that that attitude is actually rooted in fear and insecurity. Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I could play amateur psychologist here. And, and I, I do think that there's something to be said for people needing to fill the void. People need to be identified in a certain way. Um, it's it's, it's, you know, that I think that's, that's a challenge for a lot of people that, you know, if I'm a coach and there, there's, there, there, for, for a lot of coaches, there's an objective measure to how good a coach I am. And that's, you know, how many games have I won? And, you know, I, 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 I share with my students something that, um, um, uh, the name escapes me as a old time, uh, co uh, college football coach, um, who they, you know, they, he won one ton of games and they said, 
you know, are you a good coach? And he said, well, I won't know for 20 or 30 years. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, I won't know until these men, he was a you know, football coach, you know, if they turn out to be good fathers and good citizens and, and, and you know, and the, the pillars of the community, then I'll know I was a good coach. And, and so th there's, there, you know, there's, there's certainly that opportunity. Right, right. I used to train teachers and, and I was a high school teacher myself. And I always used to say, you know, if I were to ask you right now, who is your favorite teacher growing up or who is your most impactful teacher? A name immediately springs to mind. That's true for everybody. And I, whatever subject that person taught, you're going to forget, you know, I taught English. You're going to forget the different grammar rules. You're going to forget the different structures for writing an essay. But people will always remember how you made them feel. That's the old saw. Um, and going back to what you were saying earlier, we sort of, we have this myth that you can focus on that, right? You can focus on relationships and 20 years out, or you can focus on wins. And there are these stories out there where you know a, a coach focuses on relationships and wins a bunch of games or wins championships. Um, and I suspect that people say, well, that's maybe the exception. But everything we know about performance and, and people performing at their best, at least in the research that I've done, is you perform at your best when you feel a combination of prepared and relaxed. And I always felt it was my job as, a co as an older coach, as a younger coach, I was useless. As an older coach, it was my job to lower the stress level. It was my job to reduce the amount of stress that people were feeling because that's going to lead to better performance. It's going to lead to a healthier environment, but it's also going to lead to a better performance and ultimately more wins. Uh, just to, as an aside, the coach was Amos Alonzo Stagg. <laughs> It came to me at a senior Great name. Exactly. Um, but I, I always loved a, um, uh, something I read um, in uh, Dean's, one of, uh, I've read a number of books about Dean Smith. And I think it was Coaching My Way was the book. And he, he so much wanted to reinforce that idea that, you know, about, about playing in fear, uh, looking over your shoulder, that when a player made a mistake, in, during a game, he would immediately, you know, Dean Smith would immediately reach for a player, send him into the game. The player who made the mistake assumed that player was coming in for him. And he would just run right past that player and, and take somebody else out of the game. He would purposely let him know that, you know, you made a mistake. I know it, you know it, don't do it again, but I don't want you to play in fear of making a mistake. And I, I, I think that's such a wonderful message. You know, um, when I was coaching, we used to have a, a similar thing. We used to use, a, you know, coaches do different things. We used to use a, a flushing motion. You know, when you made a mistake on the court, you would just, you know, all right, let's flush it. Let's recognize it. Let's learn from it. But let's, you know, let's move, let's move past it and let's keep playing. It's so interesting. So the call I was on this morning before our call, I'm working with a, a retired NBA player, a guy named Scott Williams, um, co-writing co his memoir. And he played four years at UNC for Coach Smith. And I've always had a ton of admiration for Coach Smith, but through this project and 
and hearing directly from someone who, who played four years under Coach Smith. I mean, he's just somebody that, that, that got it. And, and talk about focus on relationships. I mean, he's just somebody that got it. And basically what I've heard over and over again is, you know, in your, in your darkest moments, that's when Coach Smith is there for you immediately as a person off the court. Um, and again, that's, we keep saying it over and over again, that's the win. And by the way, Coach Smith retired. He was the all-time winningest coach. Yeah. Scott Williams, by the way, amazing, amazing story. I'm glad that uh, you're bringing that to, to, to light. Um, the, you know, when I read uh, Dean Smith's uh, book, I, and, um, and, and you start to read his coaching philosophy, and then as you get more um, engaged in, in the science behind coaching, it's like, like, did he know this stuff? You know, like he, he was, you know, um, he, he was into player autonomy. What do you think? What should we do? How, you know, what, how can we change practice? You know, he was into um, serving his players. You know, he would, uh, if his seniors got to ride, you know, he would, when they traveled back then commercially, um, players, uh, the seniors got to ride in his first class ticket where he wrote coach, you know, all these things that he did for his players that, um, that, you know, are right out of, you know, multiples of theories he was doing intuitively, it seems, and which is mind-boggling to me. You mentioned the science behind coaching. So what is, and you mentioned research earlier, the research you've done, what is that science? What is that research telling us? Well, I, I think that um, for me, well, there's a ton, obviously, but, you know, so I think what really resonates with me is uh, the work done behind behind motivation, behind well-being, and the importance of what we can do as coaches, as teachers, as parents, um, in in meeting some important psychological needs for athletes. And and what the forty years of research have found that the the meeting of those needs leads to this an athlete experiencing well-being and also more internal motivation so that they are, they become the driver, you know, and, and, um, and so I, I think for me, that's, that's foundational to, uh, to, to positive coaching, to positive parenting, et cetera. And what does, what are the psychological needs of an athlete, particularly a high school athlete? Well, um, three things. They, they, that there should be some, level of autonomy, you know, you know the, the, and the opposite of autonomy is control. A lot of coaches are very controlling um, in that, but if you, if, you, if you provide some choice, provide some opportunities for athletes to have a say, you know, the, the um, um, you remember the great scene in, um, in Hoosiers, um, championship game, and Gene Hackman is, is drawing up the final play and he's gonna use, um, uh, another senior moment the shooter as a decoy and and, and then the players are like ah, you know they're a little unsure and what what and and the, the, and the shooter um speaks up says coach i'll make the shot and he says okay here's what we're going to do so imagine the you know the empowerment that players feel when coaches are listening and 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 and, and, and you know and, and providing an opportunity for players to have a say in in 
you know, I, I often say to coaches, how many decisions do you make that you could, you could let your players have make those decisions? You know, your pregame warm-up, your pregame meal, your, your um, pregame music, you know, that, you know, they're so engaged in all those things. You know, why, why can't we let, you know, our players get involved in that? How much time do you give players, you know, the, you know, practices are so scripted. How much time do you give to players to work on things that they don't understand or they feel like they need to improve? Um, so, so, you know, as many opportunities as you can to provide a say that that level of autonomy and, and, and to stop, the, you know, the, uh, you know to trying to control everything. Coaches love, coaches believe, a lot of coaches believe that they can control everything. Um, and I think that's, that's another myth that needs to be, to be dealt with. Um, the second uh, important need is, is that you, you need to feel like you are uh, improving. You need to feel like you have, you know, that, that you're making the most of your, uh, of your skills, um, a level of competency. Um, I, I was talking to a, um, a middle school uh, cross-country coach who had just, you know, the, they always had the largest contingent of, of, um, of runners at uh, when my, my middle son ran cross country. They always had tons and tons of kids. And I said, how do you keep all these kids engaged? He said that I try and make them feel like they're getting better at cross country so that even though the top five scores only matter, we, I, you know, we set goals for every single runner in every single meet. We monitor those goals. We practice towards those goals. We either exceed those goals and meet those goals or fall below, and then we address it. And so, and, and then the whole team gets involved in, in the improvement of, of everybody. So it, you know, it keeps kids engaged and, and, um, and, and continuing to run. So competence is the other need. And then the, fine, the final need is, as humans, we all have a need for uh, belongingness, relatedness. We need to feel like we're in an environment where we are cared for, where we have the ability to care for others. Um, you know, the, the coach that gets to know their athletes as a, as a person first, you know, and then as an athlete is, is really, really important. And to know that, um, that, that, you know, that I care for you as an individual, you know, that um, the idea we throw the word love around, you know, that they, and love is a verb. You know, and it's 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 how kind you can be, how forgiving you can be, how how caring you can be. Um, that's how you express your love to uh, to an athlete. And so, th when those needs are satisfied, we start to feel a sense of being our best selves. We 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 start to feel a sense of this is an environment where I want to be. This is this is where I am. Th this is where I'm willing to, to direct my time, energy, and engagement. Um, so imagine as a coach, the outcome of, of meeting psychological needs are a bunch of players who really want to be there and really feel like they're becoming their best selves. And I think that's, I, it's kind of the holy grail of coaching. <laughs> I mean, that's it right there. That, that's, that's the roadmap, right? Autonomy, right. improvement, belonging. I, I want to dive into all three. Let's start with belonging. In, in Western culture and American culture, you know, we celebrate the, the strong, silent type, the macho type. Um, 
and this idea that you know if you're dealing with um if you're dealing with psychological a psychological issue emotional issue as a man especially you don't show that um maybe you you drink in solitude you go off into the you know if we think about westerns and movies like that you go off into the wilderness and you're by yourself and that's that's what we celebrate but actually when it comes to dealing with with trauma it's belonging it's people coming together to support the person it's connectedness it's togetherness those are the things that are healing and so i think that point of um whether it's a family unit or friend group or support group and in this context a team having that environment where people feel a sense of belonging and a sense of support and a sense that they're cared for not just by the person quote unquote in charge but by the community that's so powerful it's powerful as far as a team dynamic on the court and probably even more powerful as a dynamic off the court well and we've had this grand experiment that proves your point you know uh, covid where we have forcefully removed ourselves from other people and look at the results the people are people are really struggling uh, in a, in a number of ways because we don't have that we've lost that uh, to a certain extent that sense of belongingness and and when um, you know before the delta variant and and you know we just saw these people just flooding to be back together you know and you know like now i can be back you know and, and it's and, and i think it's important to point out that these are not wants or or desires these are actual needs every bit as important as physiological needs you know air water food you know these 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 are, are they're, they're, the, they're the same level we need these things to experience well-being yeah it's such an important point and i mean there, there's a reason that one of the worst types of torture that you can do to somebody is place them in solitary confinement and totally reduce any human contact um and, and again it's you know i lived overseas in in namibia for years and you you see that the way that the things that we celebrate aren't the only um methods out there so i just think about something as simple as let's say a middle-class American home, two kids, they probably each have their own room, right? They, maybe they, they even have the, their own lock on the door. They can just be totally isolated. And, and living overseas and living in Namibia, which is more of a, a collective culture, um, people are always around other people. Um, and you, know, you, you might see three, you know, I, I had three God kids. Um, they'd all just be sitting on a couch, all just, you know, literally like shoulder to shoulder touching each other. And, and that contact, um, physical contact, again, in this time of COVID, physical contact is so important. And like you said, they're need, these are needs, um, the, the need to belong, the need to have your tribe. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things about sports is that it can, it can provide that. Um, yeah, and, and if it's done well, you know that so we i still i'm in contact with all of my teammates from a team that's now getting close to 40 years ago and 
we get together, you know, we do a lot of texting now and we, there's never, I, I, I can't, I can hardly recall a text about a game, about a, about a shot, about a, you know, but I can, re, you know, we, we talk about the van rides, we talk about the hotel stays, the, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the locker room, all that stuff. And, but, but, you know, that's what mattered, you know, that's what made it special was being part of a, of a unit, of a team, of a group. Um, and, and, you know, it, the, the winning, you know, at the time was, 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 was great. But in hindsight, it, it, every year, it just it decreases in importance. Yeah, exactly. Um, and especially because, and just for the listeners to know, you played at Brooklyn College and went to the Division Three Final Four had a fantastic season you're in brooklyn college's hall of fame not for anything i did individually again (laughs) it was part of part being part of a great team (laughs) well right belonging yeah that's exactly what we're talking about um and so like you just said now when, when you guys text when you call it's almost never about the game and so for coaches out the coaches out there that are still in that traditional mindset and that traditional model again doing things in in a positive from a positive framework is actually going to give you a better chance to win but much more importantly um teenage years early 20s those are such formative years and those are things that stay with us for a lifetime you know i my um my cousin or my mom's cousin uh, was just here and, and he's in his mid eighties just visiting and he grew up in Boston and he can just run down the 1949, like the lineup of the 1949 Red Sox, the batting order, right? Because those things are like those formative years are so ingrained. And so as a coach, if you're, if you're just focusing on the wins and losses and, and, you know, players are a means to your glory. Um, it's not only that you're, you're not giving yourself the best chance to win, but what are you, what, what concrete are you setting in these formative years? What are your players going to talk about 30 years from now? And, and even, you know, to, you know, we, we do an exercise uh, in one of our classes where <laughs> Uh, we ask um, students as a coach to write their own eulogy. That's genius. As, as morbid as it sounds, it's actually, you know, to think about the end goal. What, what do you want people to say about, or what do you want to, you know, I mean, it really comes down to what you want to say about your career at the end of it. You know, um, he, he won a lot of games, you know, he was miserable, you know, to be around and, uh, you know, and that's, that's great. Um, or, you know, li- you know, a life changer, a, you know, um, uh, change the trajectory of my life. You know, I, I was really fortunate uh, I, at a time when I needed some guidance and direction to run into a, um, uh, you know, my college coach who, literally changed the trajectory of my life um you know he's I, I was doing a lot of things i shouldn't be doing and and you know showing up to practice sometimes after having been out late at night 
And he pulled me aside and he said, you know, the way you practice is how you're going to play. The way you play is how you're going to live your life. And it scared the crap out of me that, wow, if that's how I'm going to live my life, what an empty life and am, am I going to have? And it just shook me to my core and it, it, it and it caused me to change um, my, my, my entire outlook. It was a paradigm shift for me like I've never had before. And I really needed it at the time. And it came from a coach who cared about me as a person. For first, he knew what was going on. It was about me. It wasn't me about me as a basketball player. It was about me as a person. And, and that, that changed everything. Right. And, and again, it comes down to, to those words and those formative years. And so as an assistant coach in my 20s, I was a, I was a good assistant coach. Um, and then my one year as a head coach in my 20s, I was just useless. But as an assistant coach, it's so much easier to forge positive relationships because there's not that dynamic of playing time and parents and all of that. And I remember, so this was 2001, 2002, you know, about 15 years later, I got a, a Facebook message from one of the guys and he mentioned something that I had said and something I did that, that meant a lot to him. And in fact, he went on to play division one basketball. He said, that was the catalyst for me to play division one basketball. And he's now a high school coach at the same school. And he was just thanking me for that, which those are the, the best testimonials to receive. And I didn't even remember it, you know, Not, just because it was just something I said and something I probably said, you know, something similar to other players and other students. But it's just, you don't realize the impact that your words can have on people. Absolutely. That, and, that, and that's why... You know, particularly when you, you, you know, in coaching uh, and when you involve the, um, the emotions of, of sport, you know, the, the passion that people have for sport, that it just magnifies what we say and do. And, 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 and it, it really, it, it's, it's so impactful so that we need to recognize the, the power of, of our actions, of our words. And, and, you know, and I, I think that's, that's, certainly one of the things that we focus on. What are some examples of tools, psychological tools for self-care and psychological tools for optimal performance? Well, the, so we, there's a, a lot of theories about, about well-being. The one that, you know, be, be, because I, I went to Penn that, um, and, and studied with, uh, with a guy named Marty Seligman, who is considered to be the father of positive psychology. And, and, and he has created a, a model of, um, of, of, of well-being and some of the elements. That, so that what they looked, they looked at people who are kind of uh, the outliers, who people, if, if I were to say, you know, to you, where, you know, where would you say your well-being is on a scale of minus 10 to plus 10? And if you told me, you know, quite frankly, I'm a minus five, I'm dealing, we're dealing with anxiety, depression, then, then I would certainly recommend you see a psychologist, psychiatrist, there's, you know, pharmacological assistance, all those things help, but, you know, but what about the people who are saying, you know, I'm doing all right. 
you know, I'm a plus two, plus three. How do we get you to a plus 10? And, and, and so they, 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 they actually went out and, and, and spoke to a lot of people who claim to be plus eight, plus nine, plus 10, and looked at the elements of their life that led to them to be able to say that. And they found that the people who, um, who really believe that they're flourishing have a lot of positive emotions in their lives. Um, they, 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 they feel like there are things um, with which they're very engaged. They, they, um, there are things that they do that they enter actually into a flow state the work of uh, Cheek Sent Me High. Um, they, they are engaged in things that provide meaning and purpose for their lives. They, you know, they, there's something that they believe that they're doing that's bigger than the self. Um, they also believe um, that they, are, they lead an, a, a life of accomplishment and not necessarily accomplishing, but a, uh, a focus on process, you know, the, the belief that there, it really is about the journey and not the destination. Um, and also, I think uh, uh, in recent years, in addition, uh, is this idea of, um, of vitality, uh, of, of how, you, how you eat, sleep, and move. And so all of those things combined are elements of, um, of well-being. And so that, you know, we have courses designed specifically in, in, in your personal well-being. And then the, those same ideas are embedded in other courses along the way that enable you to, you know, not only to experience it well-being, but to share it. And what's incredible is you can go somewhere and get a master's in education and spend $100,000, $80,000 for that master's. And the, your program or the program that, that you are the director of positive coaching and athletic leadership, every student just pays in-state tuition. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, if the uh, the total cost is um, fourteen, but what about fourteen thousand dollars? And I had a student I was talking to the other day, and um, and he was showing it to his wife, and he and, and he said fourteen thousand dollars. She said that's per year, right? And he said no, it's the entire degree program. She said that's wrong. It can't be. And sh she was so excited that she is now a master's student in one of our other. Uh, education units, I think, in um, maybe educational leadership, um, getting a degree at, at the same price point. So it's, 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 it's amazing to me that, um, you know, the, the, the opportunity to, for this level of education, it's accredited in, in every state in the country. Um, and, and at, at this, you know, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that $14,000 is not a lot of money, but relative to, as you said, to other schools, it's it's reasonable. It's doable. Like it's like, where do I sign up? <laughs> uh, so I there's a little bit of a dog barking in the background. I take it that that must be a diamond dog from. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to that roadmap: autonomy, improvement, belonging. What are the keys as a coach, right, to creating an environment where players feel they do have autonomy? Well, I. I you know, I, I think that it's the being in, in a, an environment where you really don't feel like you are being controlled all the time. Coaches mistake motivation for control. So that if I am getting you to do something by, um, by through punishments or rewards, that's not motivation, that's control. And so we see a lot of controlling approaches to, 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 uh, to motivation.
Um, but it, it's, you know, the, the opportunity to, to really feel like that you're just not, not a, a pawn in, in a, you know, on a, on a, on a chessboard that you know you have some 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 say in that direction of the, of the piece and and that you know you're listened to um and and that and and that coaches are truly listening you know um, I, i've um I, I really enjoy listening to uh john harbaugh the coach of the ravens you know that guy's an anomaly he's been a head coach in the nfl for you know for and, and he has this reputation as being a player's coach and and he'll tell you that he's a servant leader coach. He'll tell you that the key to success is that players want to play for him because they listen to him and they have a voice and they and they, and they can they really feel like they're making an impact on the direction of the team. Um, it it doesn't mean that you know you're going to um, to draw up the last play of the game because you know it doesn't mean that there's chaos. It doesn't mean it just means that that you um, you are you are an important part of the process as well. And, and, you, and you go there every day and you feel like you're going to be heard and not, and, and not completely controlled. What's an example of, of player autonomy, team autonomy that you've seen? Um, well, you know, anecdotally, you hear from uh, coaches like, uh, like Steve Kerr, who, who actually, I don't know if you remember, uh, was it last year or year before, actually sat in the stands and let him, let the team coach themselves. Um, you know, and, um, so I, I think, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's a little bit of an outlier, but it's, it's that idea that, um, that, that players are going to, um, it, it, to have a say and, and, and not, and, and it's not just lip service, like, you know, hey, that's a good idea. I think we'll, I think we'll do that. Um, what should we do in practice today? Like, you know, I'm going to set aside 20 minutes you guys decide or you gals decide what, what, how should we spend those 20 minutes? What should we work on? Um, usually, you know, the, a coach will have every minute scripted, right? Um, you know, th there's, there's an opportunity. So I think it, it's, it's really, you can be as creative as you like, but keep in mind that um, where is it that I'm, I'm making decisions that, that they should be involved in, in, you know, players should be involved in the decision-making process as well. Right, 100%. And that idea of decisions is an interesting one to me. And we talked a little bit off air about my journey as a coach and, and wrote this memoir called Zen and the Art of Coaching Basketball. And I go into it in the book about when the game starts, I felt like the vast majority of the decisions I needed to make were already complete. And when the fourth quarter started, I felt like 99% of my decision-making was finished, which I think is, is different from the traditional model, which is I have to try to control this chaos. I have to try to script everything, as you just said. And so basically in the fourth quarter, I have one or two timeouts for the end of the game, and that's it. It's going to be what it's going to be. And I always tell people, you know, if, if, you're, if the majority of your coaching is done during the game, you done messed up because right. at that point it's going to be what it's going to be. And so if you create the environment where players can make decisions and players can adjust on the fly and players can be calm in that chaos. And in fact, the, the key moment of our, of our season um, came down to this play we ran 
that that it was a sideline out of bounds um, that Brad Stevens had drawn up for the Celtics. So I called it Boston. In the key moment, I called the play, right? That was a decision. And then sat down. And halfway through the five seconds of the inbound, the time you have to inbound the ball, something unexpected happened that we'd never anticipated. And I could have jumped up and tried to direct, okay, Jack, Jack, no, cut, cut to the basket instead, da, da, da. And in that moment, as much consciously as unconsciously, or as much unconsciously as consciously, I just remain seated. And I say, that was the pinnacle of my coaching. It's going to hmm. be what it's going to be. You put the things in place and let the game happen. Well, I'll never forget uh, Jay Wright when Villanova won, won yeah. the national championship and, uh, and um, the kid, Archie Diacono, who I think was the point guard, kind of shoveled it off to, the, I can't remember the other kid's name. And as the ball was leaving his hand, Jay Wright was walking down the sideline before the ball had even gone in because he knew that this, this you know, there are certain things I can control and certain things I can't. And he knew that he couldn't control whether the, the ball goes in, he wins, the ball go, he lose, goes, you know, he loses. Either way, he's got to shake hands with the other coach. And I, you know, I, and I've seen, you know, Brad Stevens um, you know, do the same thing when he, you know, uh, Certainly, certainly, probably saw him coach more games when he was at Butler than, uh, than with the Celtics. But same, same exact approach to uh, to coaching. That they they knew that that I coach during practice, you know, and 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 then I have I've got to trust my guys, and that's a great coach to play for. Who who would not want to play for the go a coach that's going to trust you in that situation? Exactly, and and the ball's going to go in or it's not, but. You, you've put the, the ingredients, you know, on the kitchen table and prep the meal. And now it's going to be what it's going to be. Well, let's maybe let's end with the, so the roadmap, autonomy, improvement, belonging. We've talked belonging. We've talked autonomy. And now let's talk uh, improvement. And, and my background is, is education. I have a PhD in education. And so improvement, you know, whether it's on the practice court, um, or in the classroom is something that, that that's an area that, that I'm fascinated by and endlessly fascinated by. So what are your thoughts on improvement and helping players improve their skills? Well, I, you know, I, every player wants to get better. And I think that's, that's a given. And I think that, um, you know, the, uh, the idea of a, of a growth mindset is really important for it, for a coach to, to understand that, um, you know, we, I've been around a lot of coaches that that'll look at a player and and predict their ceiling, you know, and, and I think that's a that's a really tricky thing to do, and I think it's really unfair to the player. It's unfair, to, you know, it's unfair to the team. It's unfair to the coach. And so I think there there are ways to um, um, to to really reinforce the um, a, a, a player's improvement. You know, the, it's as simple sometimes as the old coaching adage, you know, of, of catching them doing something right. You know, that I saw what you did there, that, that screen and then the roll, um, you know, that pass, you know, all, all those things, you know, that you, you're constantly doing that. I, I think goal setting is, is, is really, really important. And it's, and, and it's, it's not about, um, about the, the, you know, a, uh, a product goal, an outcome goal, but it's about a process goal. And, you know, what, what, what is it that we can do to work on to, to get you 
you know, to get you better. And it's, and, it, and we, so if, if a player comes to me and said that they want to be a better three point shooter. Okay. Um, well, let's, let's talk about shooting. Let's, let's break it down into its smallest, smallest movements, increments, and then work on each of those and, and, and set goals as to how we measure whether we're getting better. How do we get, uh, how do we, are we getting, becoming more balanced? Are we, um, you know, are we, you know, focusing concentration? How, how can we measure that? How can we, how can we improve that? Um, you know, all, all the, the, the micro movements that, that are involved in shooting and then, and then set goals with each one of those um, and then move on and then constantly, and then players will see that I'm getting better at this. I'm getting better at this. And then all of a sudden the ball's going in the basket uh, more often than, than it was prior to that. And I start to feel, I start to feel competent. And, and that's, that's coaching, you know, that, that if, you know, I, I you know, I, the, the word coach, I think comes from a Hungarian word um that it literally means to transport you know to and, and that's that's what we should be doing is you know they're starting here where are we taking them to and so any number of things that we can do that um that lead to improvement i, I the the goal setting area has is really is interesting I don't, i'm not sure i don't know if you're familiar with um um whoop w-o-o-p uh goal setting mm -hmm. model so so it's um WHOOP stands for wish, outcome, obstacle, and plan. And so my wish is to be a, um, a better three-point shooter. When that happens, I'll feel, I'll feel more, more confident, more competent, more, you know, more engaged. I'll feel like I can help the team. What are the obstacles to me becoming a better three-point shooter? And, and then, then you, you know, you'll start to think about um, um, you know, not having enough gym time, not having... Um, um, some physical uh, um, limitations, all the things that that could get in the way of you becoming a better three-point shooter, and then the and then the plan to, to to offset each of those obstacles, and and so that you you know it's it's um it's 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 positive thinking, but it's realistic positive thinking, and and I think it's really helpful to athletes to uh, to work with a coach who who you know really you know thinks about the, you know, in, in real, real terms, here's the obstacles to you becoming a great three-point shooter. Here's how we're going to work around that. And, and that's, and if I'm working with a coach like that, that, I, that, that just instills higher levels of, uh, of confidence and confidence in me. Right. And, and there's a phrase in, um, in educational theory, the zone of proximal development, right? That I need to be able to you know, if, if someone wants to be a better three-point shooter, let's say they're a sophomore in high school, you know, backup shooting guard. And if you were to say, okay, you're, I want you to be able to make one out of a hundred, I want you to shoot a hundred threes, make one. Well, that's so easy. I'm going to check out. If I say, I want you to make 99 out of a hundred, that's so difficult. I'm going to give up. So as a coach or as a teacher, um, you want to set goals for your players or your students individually that are just outside the reach of what they can do now, because now they can get there. And once they get there, they see that improvement. Now you set the next goal or they set the next goal better if they set it right. Autonomy. Absolutely. Well, I, I think, it, I think a joint um, goal setting, mm -hmm. I think is, is, you know, but certainly that, 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 that could feed into player autonomy, you know, you, you know, instead of the goal being assigned to a player, which a lot of coaches will do, you know, 
let's let's work together. Let's figure this out together, and then and then and then create a plan. Exactly. And there was something else you said earlier, which was the idea of being able to look at a fourteen or fifteen or sixteen year old or twenty year old, twenty two year old, twenty five year old, say, "This is your ceiling. This is what you're going to be." And having that growth mindset, as you mentioned, is so key. And again, the traditional model, what we celebrate in culture is that person is a natural, right? They're a natural athlete or a natural basketball player, whatever. And it's all just BS. It's all just a combination of working hard, dedicated practice, directed practice um, with feedback. And what we've been talking about with positive feedback with an, in an encouraging environment, that's the key to getting better. And, and, and the idea that, you know, there's something innate in you that will determine the outcome of your performance or your career as an athlete um, is so limiting. Particularly if you're trying to foster resilience and grit. And if you, if, if you, you know, if you believe that in your, that you, you haven't reached your ceiling and you're working with a coach who believes the same thing, then in terms of resiliency and grit, why would I ever give up? <laughs> if my best is yet to come, you know, why, why would I stop? You know? Well, I, like I said, I almost wish I could, you know, start, start this program uh, in January. The, the We'd love to have is... you. <laughs> you. You could use another degree, I'm sure. <laughs> right, right. I know, I got, I've got a BA, I mean, like, like you, uh, you know, have multiple degrees and, and uh, but it's, but again, growth mindset, right? Why not? Yeah, yeah. Positive coaching and athletic leadership, master of education at the University of Missouri. And we didn't even talk about your book. Um, that'll be next time that you come on, but you've, you've written a book. Can you just give the, the title for that, Greg? It's uh, Servant Leadership in Sport Theory and Practice. Fantastic. So if you want to learn more about what we've talked about here, you can get Greg's book, Servant Leadership in Sport Theory and Practice. And you can apply for the for the master's in education at the University of Missouri in positive coaching and athletic leadership. Um, Greg, where can people find you? Um, on, um, on Twitter, it's, it, I think where it's Mizzou Positive Coaching. Okay. Um, LinkedIn, uh, Gregory Sullivan. And, um, and certainly um, uh, at, if, email me directly uh, if you have interest um, at gsullivan at missouri.edu. Fantastic. And do you guys have a rolling deadline or is there a deadline each semester? We are, we are rolling deadline. Okay. Fantastic. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a real treat. Yeah, this was fun, Ben. It was, it was great uh, spending time with you. That was my interview with Greg Sullivan. And this is Ben Guest. You can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo.substack.com. Have a great day. <laughs>